Georgia Virtue presents the Let Me Tell You Why You're Wrong podcast. In episode 255, we have heavy metal on the roads, fees for prop for profit, education requirements for state employees, a warden in hot water, and we have a riot. I'm Dave Roberts. With me is my partner's endeavor, writer, journalist, dog mom, owner of the GeorgiaVirtue.com, Jessica Salaji. What's going on, Dave? Oh, man, it's a beautiful, beautiful day, isn't it? It really is. It it was not, so we were recording on Thursday. It was not as good as the day on Wednesday, but I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. So, um, yeah, today's beautiful, too. Oh yeah, we've got we've got a full show, it, and there were stories that we were tracking early in the week, and like we, we don't have room for that. There's we've got we've got uh, not not better, but uh, different stories. So stuff that you know we normally track the normal politics of bills going going through the the House and Senate and things like that that we, that we track this time of year. But there was real news being made this week that we're going to cover. Yes. Can't wait. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> so we have mounting opposition to a bill allowing heavier trucks on Georgia roads. The the conversation's not new, right? Like I think it's just the bill that um has once again they always seem to go after the truckers in various ways. And a couple of years ago we talked about one where they, I don't remember what exactly what they wanted to rec- regulate, but um, it went viral in like an hour, and um, it was so bad that the the lady withdrew her bill the same day, if not the next day. But um, this is interesting because it's a bill that's proposed in the legislature, and it's the local governments that are quote rising up. Um, well. Yeah, this bill would would allow an increase of weight of semis to ninety thousand pounds, uh, from the current eighty thousand pounds, which is five tons for those who can't do math. Mm-hmm. But more the the limit is eighty thousand pounds on the interstate. So this would only be done on state and local roads, which is interesting. It is, and obviously. You know, there's lots of roads already that have um, signs prohibiting pass-throughs and heavy trucks at all because they either, you know, compromises the bridges that are there or they don't want those trucks with the heavy congestion. Um, but we also have a lot of roads that were designed as bypasses for interstates and, and for trucks to get into town. And... um. You know, this is this is obviously going to come down to a conversation of local control. And I think it's funny that I, I think it's funny that we regulate it at all. And then I think it's funny that local governments think they're more qualified to regulate it than not that the state is actually qualified, but we would assume that the state is basing their information off of an entire industry and GDOT and, and transportation data, right? As opposed to local governments that are like, my roads. Well, what I find interesting is the best built roads, and this is scary, the heaviest bridges and the best built roads are on interstates. And they're and built they by the have lowest a limited, bidder. They're still the best mm-hmm. in comparison to the local and state roads. Uh. 278, which runs not too far from my house, which is also Thornton Road, if, if anybody's familiar with, with, uh, with the west side of Atlanta. Driving down that road is like re-entering the Earth's atmosphere in the space shuttle. Because it was so poorly constructed that they as soon as they as soon as they repave it and make it smooth again, we've got potholes. Because the underlying, I don't know what they call it, but whatever's underneath the road is faulty. And I know that's anecdotal, but as, as bad as our interstates are, you know, mo- most of the problems I have on the interstate are, are design and traffic flow issues. 
not so much the 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 quality of, of the of of the of the pavement. You know, you get the occasional pothole or you get the occasional uh, problem or, you know, honestly, in Atlanta, catch get a semi-catch fire and you get scorch marks on, on, the, uh, on the asphalt. Mm-hmm. But if, if the interstate system is saying, which is arguably the best bridges we have, 80,000 is the cap, what makes us think that our state roads, bridges, and local roads and bridges are going to handle another 10,000 pounds? I mean, I'm not, I'm by no means a road expert, but I would also venture to say that there's probably an element of um, supply chain, trucking issues, shortages, the heavy regulations from the feds on, you know, time they can travel. Like there's so much that has, has gone into driving up the costs that perhaps this is a... Like, I don't think that this, you know, it sounds funny that I'm like quasi defending the the state, but I don't think the state was like, let's brainstorm on how we can screw up local and state roads because the state budget would have to fund the any issues to the state roads. So, I sure. Mean- and, and my guess would be that the intention for this law is short hauls from say say uh, the port of Savannah to a railhead. It's not to move ninety thousand pounds from Savannah across the country, right? All you know across the entire state, only using state roads. Just talk about inefficient. Uh, you could run two semis on less fuel it would take to stop at every stop sign, every red light, every roundabout to get on a state road from Savannah up to I don't know Clayton. Mm-hmm. Well, and we we are proposing inland ports and and everything else, um, and and those usually aren't not that far from an actual port, um, and it's where trucks move stuff from these ports to locomotive ports of you know yeah railheads yeah absolutely right yeah that, and that's and my guess is that's what it is. Uh, I think most of the sponsors on this bill are South Georgia folks. Uh, I think for that reason, now, there's one, there's one sponsor that's from Athens. Um, my, my guess would be this is, this is designed to be short hauls and look, local ordinances can, they can't do anything on state roads, but they can say, you know, no through semis here. And, they, and there are semi-routes. Uh, I just don't think they're going to be taking Highway 92 all the way from South Georgia all the way up through Cobb County. I, I, I just don't, I, I don't see that as one is viable, even with, with the additional load, even with the additional 11 or 12%, whatever it is, uh, within, within the load. But I think some of the stuff that's coming off of the, uh, the ships, the container ships, Instead of having to split these loads up, I think some of these come in where they're you get two boxes that can go on a semi and they're forty five thousand, forty five thousand. Well, if if your cap is eighty, you have to put those on two different trucks. So I, I don't know. I don't I don't know enough about exactly what this is planning to fix, but that's that's my guess is short haul. Getting, well, and getting, we try not go ahead. I said, just just getting not not going from from port to market, but getting it port to distribution. And I, I try, we try, whether it's from writing or on the podcast, not to like wear people out with the same topic. But this is one that they were planning to have the committee hearing on the day we were recording, and um, so hopefully that committee hearing will shed a little bit of light on both sides um, of, you know, why exactly this is necessary, but we can follow up and report back to people. Yeah, absolutely. For the love of passport fees and private profit. I mean, it's the same old narrative. We're just changing out the the thing, the, what it, you know, what is being profited off of. But um, 
this is similar to like what tax commissioners have done in the past that they have regulated away and just people people are creative as heck but basically there are superior court clerks in our state who are individually profiting off of passport fees um counties can like they the superior court clerk can offer passport services and a processing fee um the money goes to the the clerk like the actual clerk um not like the clerk's office but like whomever your clerk is yeah i think we covered this with cobb county I mean, she pulled in. What was it? A half million in a was couple years. Was it passport years? fees, or was she the tax? Was she the tax commissioner that did it? No, it was the passport fee. She was clerk of court. Love like it. she was making one hundred seventy thousand dollars a year salary, and another couple hundred thousand a year in passport fees. And she actually collected fees that were supposed to go elsewhere. And uh, she says that, that was a clerical error and returned it to the county, like expedite fees and things like that. That. Uh, the county actually paid for like the overnight packages and things like that in order to get a expedited passport. Uh, she returned some of that money, but <laughs> you know, most say most, a lot of clerks give that money to the county for the general fund, but but not not Cobb County. This this bill is uh, sponsored by uh, Senator Kay Kirkpatrick, and from it would Cobb. it would yeah from Cobb, and this is the exactly this. She obviously listens to the show because we covered this. <laughs> yes. Yes. I figured. I wondered if, if she, if you'd heard that, if she was a listener. I don't know her, but <laughs> I, I, I think, her. I think a, a lot of folks at the Capitol do. And a lot of the stuff that comes out is, is, is news to them. Because if, again, if you, if you're in your day-to-day life and you're not, and you're not specifically following state and local politics, if if you turn on the the news, you're going to find out you know what the president said. You're going to find out what people think about what he said, what he had for breakfast, you know, where he got ice cream, and everything else. But you have no idea what's going on in your state and local. And when people hear that a county clerk used county assets to process uh, their county citizens' uh, passports and stuck the money in their own pocket, that most people. Uh, are shocked to hear that's even legal. So uh, Senator Kirkpatrick's plan is to close that loophole. Yeah. And and I think it's a legit thing to do. I mean, I, it, it, it always baffles. I don't, I mean, she, she's not the people who are doing this and it's apparently happening in lots of places, but you know, they're making six figures. They make a great salary. They're not doing anything illegal at this time, but it's a really ugly look and it erodes public trust and it's inappropriate even if it's legal right now. Look, Taylor, the uh, Connie Taylor, the, the clerk of Superior Court in Cobb County took a house in two years, a house, a, a nice house, $400,000, decent house. She took enough to buy a house in two years during, during COVID when people were you know looking for places to go, they, they went and got passports. So, I mean, that's if you, you figure two hundred thousand a year she took on top of her one seventy, that's three hundred seventy thousand dollars a year for an elected official. Right. I, you know, I, I read the bill. There's not much to it right now. I think it's three pages. I'm sure it'll get folded in with something else. But I, I, I like the, I, I like the, 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 the plan behind it. And look, yeah, if, any, if, if, if it's not going to go to, yeah, if it's not going to go to the cost, the actual cost to the county of processing these things, these, these applications, why are you charging it all? It should be free. Right. It's not the fee. It's, it's where it's going. If you want to charge the $35 because you're using resources or time. I mean, I'm sure that a lot more people are applying for passports in Cobb County than in Bullitt County or Tattanoe County where some counties in South Georgia where the people have never been out of the country and they never want a passport. And, you know, I mean like the demand and stuff, like it's, it's a resource thing. People will understand that as much as they will be like, well, you're already here. What's the big deal? Um, but there's filing fees for everything, but those filing fees, can you imagine if like a, a protective order or a restraining order filing fee went toward to the clerk instead of the, the general office? 
Yeah, of course, this is on top of the fees that you make out to the U.S. Treasury mm-hmm. or whoever it is you write for check. I can't, it's been so long, I can't remember. Um, so you, if, you, if you do it at the, at the clerk's office, you write two checks, one to the clerk of court and one to the federal government. And it's, it, you know, the, I, I, I like what's behind, I, I like the idea behind it. I, I think it's hard to argue against. It'll be whether it actually gets to the floor or not, but it's, it's a very, the principle is very hard to argue against. Because, you know, a time when, when, when people are hurting and you find out that you've got a, a, a clerk of court that's making 370000 a year and, and hmm. two hundred of that is, is uh, uh, money that really should have gone to the county. Right. And then you look at your, ta- your property tax bill. Your taxes, right. And you look at your, your property tax bill, then you look at what she's making and how much she's, she's taking from that should, really should be earmarked to the county fund. And you go, huh, Really? You know, my tax has gone up 33% in, th- in, uh, in three years. But uh, hell, I, I said before, last time we covered it, I'd never wanted to be a clerk of court until now. Because I'll start running sales. Get in before the end of the year and, and, and we'll do it for 25. <laughs> Lord. So there's a movement to cut college degree requirements for Georgia state jobs. Interesting. As if like, the, I, I, I'm not, our, it's a Republican backed bill, but, and I'm all like, I'm all, well, it's by Senator John Albers, who is the first campaign I ever worked on, by the way, which is funny because um, he's what, made me so cynical in politics because he had this platform and I was like, wow, that's a great platform. And then he got elected and I was like, what are you doing? Why did you lied? What do you mean you lied? <laughs> like I was mortified. But anyway, he's always been super pro trade school and he's from the Roswell Alpharetta area where trade school is not as valued as it is in some other parts because people believe they're, it's a requirement to go to college. And so I do commend him for that because he has always emphasized the importance of trades and certifications and technical school and all that. Um, and so his argument is now, you know, we've we've done all these things to prop up our trade schools to try to incentivize people to go to these things, but all the jobs that are state jobs um, require a four-year degree. What are we doing? Um, and it's, again, it's only for state jobs, so it's not the worst thing. No, it's not forcing anything on, on private industry. Uh, you know, one of the worst things that's happened with hiring in the last decade or so is the emergence of algorithms where you could have a long list of experience. Let's just pick any industry that that you, you've been working in for a long period of time and you, you have the experience, you have uh, uh, everything you need except for a piece of paper. You've got all the professional certifications, everything else, but you, but you didn't get a four-year degree. And as soon as you check the box, high school or equivalent, and you don't, and you don't put, and you don't put college graduate, that that computer program rejects your your application right off the bat. HR never sees it. The hiring manager never sees it. It's just it's it's put into the circular file immediately. And that that kind of that kind of stuff needs to go away because. In, in private industry too. I'm not saying that that's that's certainly not the role of government, but we've got people out with biology degrees working in a bank, but because they could check off that I've got a I've got a BS in biology, okay, you, you've got you've got a you've got a college degree, not a degree in finance, not an MBA. Uh, I read a I read a memo from someone who got like an online degree uh, one day and. I wanted to print it out and take a red pen to it because the English was atrocious. And I, I'm I'm looking. I, I pull up his 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 LinkedIn, and it's like, you're college educated. You you can't you can't you can't write a memo. Uh, so the 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 there are plenty of state jobs where you do not need a college degree, including governor for that matter. 
Right. I I mean I don't disagree with why is it regulated by the, legislation anyway? The premise. Um I, I, I think it's I think it's Well codifying it. Well, I mean, look, the governor absolutely could issue a uh, an executive order, but that only lasts as long as the governor. If you codify it, it's it's much harder to, to reverse those reverse those things. And you know, I, I'll use the you know, I, you know, I had to fall back on the military thing. If you're a public affairs uh, specialist in the military, don't have a college degree, but you did it. You you handled press conferences. You handled uh, you handled. Uh, you know, big name people, you handled the, uh, the press coverage, uh, press releases, all that. And then you come out and you want to go work as a public affairs office for, for the state. They look at it and go again, that algorithm, no college degree, boom, done. And end of the trash can. Let's go to the next one. And even though this person may have 10 years experience working in a public affairs office and doing, doing the job that that experience is, is just thrown away because there's no human being looking at, at these resumes. You know, the old days of showing up where you want to work and, and going and talking to the hiring manager and introducing yourself, those days are gone. And, and if you don't fix them, uh, you know, on the state side, if you don't fix it institutionally and remove that requirement from, from that algorithm, hiring managers will never, will never see these people. And we'll continue to have vacancies and wonder why we can't get them filled when these hiring managers and the HR managers are never seeing these applications. But if you know yeah, when you see I, when you see a need, uh, there's not a there's not much else that that an elected official can do other than codify it. Yeah. No. I mean, I'm here for it. Like there are worse things they could be doing. So you know, run with it. Yeah. Yeah. This doesn't mess up my life at all. Go for it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I'm not, not to be too narcissistic about it. Right. I'm self-employed. Does, so what, just leave yeah. Me alone. What's it going to cost me? Oh, nothing. Nothing. It's not going to cost you anything. Ah, ah I cool. It. Do it. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> Have a ball. <laughs> this is a good time to remind you that these are our opinions and not those of anyone not on the show or any respective company for which we may work, own, or otherwise associate ourselves with on a regular or irregular basis. Also, you can find other episodes and relevant stories over at thegeorgiavirtue.com. It's time for the Mule of the Week. I came Aww. across this... Yeah, I came across this one the morning uh, that that we recorded. Eastern Washington University. It's kind of going the other way with hiring. They're requiring university prospective university employees to submit a diversity plan. How they're going to use their position, uh, they're calling it a diversity response. How they're going to use their position and, and uh, what they can do to support diversity. This includes janitors, whose salary is between thirty-five and 39000 a year. Now, I'm not demeaning the job. The job absolutely has to be done. But at, at that level, what can the janitor do to support diversity? I mean... Mop everybody's floor. I mean, pick up trash from everyone. I don't understand what, in in that role, what you're, what you're asking. And like I said before the show, even if you're teaching economics, if if you're an economics professor, what do you do support to, to support diversity? Teach economics, because that's what I do. If you if if you're if you're teaching African American female studies. Uh, and you're doing a course on Maya Angelou, that, that might be applicable of how, how you're going to uh, handle handle that class. It, but it, it, when you're teaching facts, I don't know. That's why I've got it from this meal, Jess. Yeah, I, I'm I, I with you. you. I, I, I'm with you. I, I, my, when you were talking about it, when you first brought it up to me, the first thing that came to my mind was like, these are things that you're going to put in someone's job application in their personnel file that's subject to open records for, for eternity. And you're talking about people who don't know how to answer this or who might answer too um, honestly or a lot of things. I, I, I also, it would be a deterrent. It would be a deterrent to me. Yeah, because I guarantee you there's other places to make money being a janitor or being a mechanic 
or I mean, the the jobs at universities we, we tend to think of as professors, <clears throat> but a university is a city, and you need everything. You need every job within that city. You need mechanics to keep the the university vehicles going. You need maintenance personnel. You need uh, AC guys. You need electricians. You need all you need all these guys. That honestly, I, you know, I work in an industry. If I said if I if I tried to hire people, well, I need you to submit a statement on how you're going to support diversity at Doctor Cool. What? I'm going to go fix air conditioners and then go get paid. That's it. I mean, that's it. It would be it'd be more stark to me if I found out that somebody was charging people differently based on based on, uh, you know, age, sex, religion. Uh, race or anything else you know, that, that'll get that'll get your get your butt canned working for me but to, to ask up front no it's ridiculous it, it's a if again there, there's so many people hiring for that tier of job just go somewhere else you don't need to work for the university i can't imagine that in eastern washington there's nobody that needs a, a floor mopped that nobody needs the air conditioner fixed or heater fixed more likely in eastern washington all right, Jesse, let's get to the meat of the show because South Georgia exploded last week. It did because the warden at Smith State Prison in Glenville in Tattnall County was arrested by the GBI. And it was so wonderful. Yeah, and what did I, when I first saw the mugshot, what did I expect? Oh, he got popped for DUI. Got popped for spousal abuse. Not, not that those those are certainly not not light subjects. But when I saw the GBI, I was involved, like, oh, this is going to be good. And of course, this is over the GeorgiaVirtue.com. Uh, yes, we this, broke the story. The, the we broke the story, and the GBI totally tried to steal my thunder um, and put out a press release, which had like not even half the information that you can get on the GeorgiaVirtue.com. So, um. Anyway, okay, so we have talked about, in different capacities, we've talked about the Department of Corrections and the corruption and um, the issues at Smith State in particular in Tattanoe County and how there was a multi-million dollar contraband ring operating out of the prison and it um, spiraled into a botched murder-for-hire plot that was exposed when an innocent man was who's 88 at the time was murdered in his bed and then we found out that a delivery driver was also murdered as he slept next to his little young child and then just recently we found out more details about a former corrections officer from smith who was also murdered in a neighboring county so all these things that have come out and this i mean the mur- the first murder was in january 2021 but we didn't really hear anything in court until september because um, you know, they only released a little bit of information and it wasn't until the preliminary hearings after all of the charges and the investigation had kind of culminated that we learned that this contraband ring was operating, that there were pictures and videos and um, all this evidence to support hundreds of thousands of dollars weekly of um, contraband, designer clothes, jewelry, um, diamonds, drugs, cash, everything just moving in and out of the prison. And, and, it was one of those things where you're like, okay, like I could understand how someone could smuggle a phone in or have something sent in through the mail, but this, the amount of stuff that was moving in and the photos and everything, you're like, I don't understand how this has gone on without anybody noticing. Like, even if it was happening on the weekends, like you get back on Monday and you, you look on the cameras and you see that the inmates are wearing long gold chains and fancy tennis shoes and, you know, Gucci and, and and things like that. And you're, I mean, it, it just didn't make sense. And I remember I went to the first court hearing back in September of 2021. And after it was over, someone walked up to me and was like, well, someone who knew all the details, but obviously hadn't talked to the public. And we were the first, this was the first time we'd heard it. And he's like, what do you think? And I was like, I think someone needs to go after the warden. And I remember this person just smiled at me and laughed kind of like, huh, yeah, I mean, we all kind of thought that, but, um, and so as I've reported on this over the last year and a half, I've reported everything that has happened with the case and, um, 
the inmates and the contraband. And I have people on the inside at Smith that speak to me, um, both corrections officers and inmates. And and so far, nothing they've ever told me has been exaggerated or incorrect, which blows my mind because that almost never happens with the case. But they always would say, you know, the warden's dirty, the warden's dirty. Well, I would agree with you, but I got nothing to prove it. Like, I believe all the stories you're telling me, but I, I don't know. I don't know how to prove it. Obviously, I can't single-handedly prove it. So, um, you know, every time I wrote an article, I just made sure to point out, like, the hey, this warden, Brian Adams, became warden in 2019. All of these contraband rings were operating. These these crimes were happening. These hits were ordered from the prison on people on the outside. Innocent people, corrections officers, not innocent people. Like, this criminal enterprise was operating, and he is still the warden three years, two years later, three years later, you know, going on three and a half years later. He's still the warden. Isn't anybody, I would always point that out. Without implicating him, I would just say, like, how is he still the warden? And to the point that it would make me really angry, right? Like, it it made me furious that he was still the warden. Because if any of us had been in a job where something like that happened, even if we weren't directly to blame, we would be moved because the optics of not moving us would be ugly. So fast forward to January um, this year, my phone started blowing up one day. People were like, oh my God, the GBI is at the warden's house across the street from the prison because there's a lot of prisons in Georgia that have housing facilities or at least a house for the warden if they don't live in the county um, for them to stay at if necessary. So there's like a GDC property home and you it's right Smith State Prison is on U.S. Highway 301, which is a four-lane highway going through Tattanoe County. So you pass the prison on the left as you're going through, and on the right is the house. Like, it's – you can see it from the road. You don't really have to slow down. There's a big old sign. Everything can be seen. And so the GBI being there is very obvious, and I was like, oh, wow. Like, you know, I'm not a Ghostbusters-type reporter, but I really did want to go <laughs> get in the car and, and go see what was going on. But – I wouldn't, there was nothing for me to find out. So then we heard, he lives in Ware County, which is like two hours from the prison. And um, he, we heard that the GBI was at that house too. And of course, then the small town politics and um, rumors like really got embellished. Like, oh my God, I think they drained a, a pond behind his house and there was a body found back there. And, and you know, he's he's already in custody. He was not in custody. Um, but we we knew that the GBI was looking at him like way more intently and um, that they'd been searching the houses possibly um, or at least been on his property perhaps to question him. Like there was a presence and it was obvious and it was repeated. So then this week, um, someone who I I have no idea how they possibly knew that this was coming down the pipeline. Like it blows my mind, but they did because they're not in law enforcement like they're just a stay-at-home mom, which I don't mean just a stay-at-home mom, but, like, they're not anybody connected. They texted me, and they're like, I think the warden's been arrested. And I was like, no. <laughs> like, there's no way. Well, they hadn't been ar- – he hadn't been arrested. It wasn't on the website. They just had their information a little bit wrong. Um, it was – that was on Tuesday. On Wednesday, um, it became pretty much – all the GDC top officials had come into town. They were seen. They were in their little their vans and their SUVs, and they were all at the sheriff's office and um, trying to get him, I guess, to turn himself in. I, I don't really know the logistics of the details yet, but I say that long story in preface to say that on Wednesday, February 8th, um, Brian Adams, who was the warden at Smith State Prison, was charged with bribery. Um, criminal attempt to com- to violate the Georgia RICO Act, violation of oath by a public officer, and false statements and writings, concealment of facts, and fraudulent documents, you know, for political subdivision. So four felony um, charges that total like 40 years of max incarceration, upwards of like $30,000 in fines possibly, depending on how much money he was allegedly bribed with or for and he's he was booked into the Tano County Jail in a pretty little orange suit 
and he he had to stay the night. He bonded out on Thursday, um, which he should. I mean, everyone's entitled to a bond, but um, he had to spend the night, which I think is amazing and and absolutely necessary because, you know, he's not above the law, and the rest of us would have had to spend the night. So, Dave, it now really I'll let cuts you talk like a knife. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you put the the middle name in there in the story, Brian Dennis Adams. <clears throat> so no one went out to. I didn't. I didn't know Brian Adams retired from music. Right. Yeah, it sucks because I when you Google him, that's who comes up is the, the musician. But well, no kidding. If you if you if you Google Dave Roberts, you're gonna get the right. uh, uh, the L A manager, not 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 me. I pretty much use all his like tagging his name as. Smith State Prison Warden Brian D. Adams on everything so that um, if you want to know about him, he's going to come up on tags because I don't want him lost in the algorithm. But, you know, it really is it's it's too much to try to cram in this small you know window of time that we have because the story of what has happened in Tattano County because of the prison system, but exclusively because of what has happened out of Smith State Prison. The damage it has done in the families and um, the destruction to know that a person at the top was allegedly participating in, and then now that they're going to be held accountable in some form or fashion is a, a, a way of justice of its own because, like I said, all this happened under his watch. If anything... He let's just say he's not guilty of a criminal charge. He sucks at his job. But it obviously is more than that because it went on. It continued to go on. It was easy for it to go on. They talked about it being easy for it to go on. The corrections officers have talked about how dangerous it is, how they how they they, they didn't like him if they were on the up and up like it's an entire broken system. And they just they just tipped over the king at the top for this little microcosm of a much bigger problem. Um, but for in this little pocket, they've tipped over a big problem. You know, we, we, don't, we don't want to use the justice system to make an example of, but hopefully every other warden and every other deputy warden and CEO in the, in the state is looking going, uh-oh. And look, once you start taking money, that's it. You're done. You can't, you can't say no. One time. It's like meth. It's, oh, it's, it's like the honeypot. Uh, when you have, when you have a security clearance where they, they first, they get you uh, cheating on your spouse and now they have you, they have you forever. Mm -hmm. You're in their pocket. Once you take that first bribe, you're in their pocket. And Look, I don't think that the the bribes go easy. Like you show up and hand the guy ten grand. It's uh, like like we were talking before the show. It's going to start with some intimidation. With you know we do, we know where your wife and kids are. Uh, you know we, we we can make this very easy or very hard for you. Right. And you know with the <clears throat> with the cash that was coming in. The inmates have no use for cash. I mean, obviously, they, they get their commissary account or whatever, but the inmates have no use for cash. They want stuff. Yeah, what, Dave's is, re- what Dave is, re- just to interject really quick, what Dave's referring to is that there was a, I mean, there's been lots of cash flowing in. There was cash in the, in the there's been cash alleged throughout all the indictments and um and, and whatnot all along. But there was a woman, a corrections officer who worked at Smith State Prison, who in April of 2021 was caught um, going into work with a Longhorn bag and a to-go box of with $29,000 of cash going into the prison. Um, she had a couple other things, too. But, I mean, what are you – it's not like you're filling the vending machine um, what do you need twenty nine thousand dollars for of cash for going into a prison? And and like we were talking before, twenty nine thousand dollars looks like twenty nine thousand dollars. It's not mm-hmm. a suitcase full, but even uh, new bills, hundreds, uh, ten thousand is three quarters of an inch thick. 
So this is not this is not something that slips into your wallet very easily. You know, thirty grand. You didn't pick up the wrong also, purse. Yeah, you did not pick up the wrong purse. Uh, it 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 wasn't your Vegas Mad Money. No, not if you're working at, at DOC, it wasn't. Um, so, but the the inmates have no use for it other than bribing guards and officials. I mean, and it the fa- begs the question of if she's bringing it in, who is it for, and why, and we we will one maybe we will one day know. Um, we don't know at this time. There's not been anything publicly disclosed to that effect. There's been lots of speculation, but like, how? What else is there to think? The fact that they were searching his on-state property house and his his home simultaneously lets lets us know they were looking for something specific. Mm-hmm. It, it was it wasn't a fishing expedition. You don't you don't get a warrant for. I mean, obviously, with state property, the the it's not that hard to to go and search. It's state property. Uh, getting a warrant kind of clears the way for him legally afterwards. But to get to get uh, permission, to get a warrant to search his private residence of a of a public official, judge didn't just sign that off like uh, they're they're like some dog a drug sniffing dog hit on somebody's trunk. That that's that's a heavy thing for a judge to sign off on. Well, and it's also a big risk because you have to remember this. The Georgia Department of Corrections is a political subdivision and an appointment, like an appointee of of Kemp. So is the GBI. You're talking about competing state agencies. And also the GBI and GDC work closely together in some capacities for the um, criminal investigations when they ch- when they do have riots or when they have criminal acts that are committed in the prisons they work hand in hand and share intel and and stuff like that um so you're talking about agencies that work together and and are now i mean the gbi has a job to do gdc has a job to do and it they don't always do it but um I would venture to say that gdc very much thinks that the gbi has stepped on their toes and like you're all in our you're all in our swimming pool over here. And the problem with that is that, like you said, it's not simple for, it was a risk for the GBI to do this. Like you don't just go search a warden's house and a political figure, so to speak, or a powerful figure and come up with nothing. Like you have to know there's something or be pretty sure there's something before you go. Yeah. The GBI doesn't just knock on doors with BS warrants. This is not some, the GBI is not some rogue sheriff somewhere. It's not some rogue judge that, that signs off on, on, on any warrant that comes across his desk. Also, I'm pretty critical of the GBI and I am not in this case because everything I've seen so far, they have dotted all their I's and crossed all their T's. So, you know, what you're saying is they should apply this standard to everyone. It would be amazing. Um, I also think it has to do with, you know, I like, just as a side note, the GBI, the stuff when I really hammered them was with the officer involved shooting that we talked about at length in Screven County. And that was different agents. They had a different special agent in charge. Um, the people who are handling this case, I mean, they've done an amazing job. They've done an amazing job so far. Um, I hope they can just like keep the brick on the accelerator and keep charging forward because it's so important, right? Like it's so important for the inmates that do go in there and whether they are guilty as sin or they are guilty as sin and on the path to reform, like anyone who is in there and is not trying to make life worse for the people around them deserves a warden who is not um, either turning a blind eye or ignoring problems or participating in the problems. All the good corrections officers deserve it. The community that is threatened by the close proximity um, and that funds all of the infrastructure that helps support the dang prison. They deserve better. They and and the state deserves better. We're all paying for him or any warden. They deserve someone on the up and up. And it's imperative to the system working properly that it doesn't work as it has. And I don't know who in the hell is going to want that job. I, yeah, I mean, it's no. you're 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 walking into a mess. I mean, you're w- walking into an absolute mess. And speaking of that that prison being a mess, 
Right after yeah. we, we find out that, that uh, Brian Adams goes to uh, g- uh, gets arrested. Uh, riots break out, quite literally. Um, so, obviously, like, the GBI and, and GDC were in town all day. And, and Tat- if you don't know Tattnall, if you know Tattnall County, you know you know why this was a big, an obvious deal to some extent, or at least at a certain point. <clears throat> but if you've never been to Tattnall County um, and you're from Metro Atlanta, you're like, well... I don't drive, I, you know, I don't, I wouldn't notice a bunch of black SUVs or, um, an overwhelming presence here or a lack of presence there. It was very obvious. It's, it's, it's obvious in Tattanoe. Like it's, it's, it's a thing. And also news travels very quickly. Um, and also the inmates of Smith State Prison have cell phones. So as soon as, um, news started hitting that Adams had been arrested and I mean, as soon, like, I want to say he was in the booking area at like s- between 7 and 7.30 in that window. And by 8 o'clock, there were stabbings. There was air evac, life flight um, being sent to the prison to life flight people out. They were taking people out by ambulance. Um, GDC took people out by van. Sometimes they do that for less serious injuries and also to avoid sending them out on EMS where there's a paper trail for some annoying, vexatious blogger to access them. Um, But, uh, you know, instantly, instantly. And I and I I've racked my brain over why. Like, are they mad that their warden are some of them mad that their warden? was arrested are they trying to do a power struggle over the gangs because perhaps one gang was being helped by the warden and another gang was thinks this is an opportunity for a rise to power or are they just people who are monsters and don't know how to behave i mean it could be any of those things i'm that's all speculation it could be none of them but um it was an extremely violent situation very quickly news travels fast but it like how I mean, I understand it only had to go up the road, literally, but it blows my mind that within within an hour, they were trying to get it on lockdown, get the facility on lockdown um, from the from from him being in the booking area. It wasn't even public yet. Well, no other news source besides the Georgia Virtue even put this out other than there were some fights, some medical situations, and and they're on lockdown. That's it. That's 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 the only news as of recording, besides the Georgia Virtue that came out. That oh, there 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 were some fights, and as you were explaining to me, this this prison was not designed to be maximum security. It was not designed for monsters. No, it was designed for medium security, um, not having to have like. I mean, there is a lockdown unit, but the prison as a whole is not um, equipped for that. And they're always short-staffed. They never have enough staff for corrections officers to for the corrections officers to be safe, for the inmates to be safe and monitored, for the community to be safe. Um, there's a reason that they say that at any time they could overrun the facility and that the guards only are in control because they allow them to be. I mean, that is... That is the mentality there, and and if you know anything about the facility, it's easy to see how that could be the the thing. What what blows my mind, and what is makes me irate, truly irate, is that as a, because they're state agencies, I, I know this to be a fact because I've seen it happen at the local level. So I know that this happened. Like it happened when the trooper was arrested. They let the Georgia State Patrol know that they were about to go arrest him. They give him a heads up. Like it's just quote a courtesy, even though they're about to f him over. GDC knew he was going to be arrested. They did not call in extra staff. They did not um, send in the cert team to be on standby status. They did not preemptively lock the facility down. They did nothing. And so then the news hits. It hits the prison. You've got four corrections officers on staff for the, what, 12, 1,500 inmate facility. Um, you And now you've got to send 
first responders in there to get these inmates out, to treat them, to treat, to, to help get them. You, you got to take them off the property, which they need a corrections officer to accompany them for that because they can't just go to the, they, they can't just handcuff them to the bed and be like, okay, well, call us when he's ready to be picked up. Like, that doesn't happen. And you've put all these people, including the community, including the corrections officers, including other inmates, you put them at risk unnecessarily because you didn't have enough, I don't know what, common sense to lock down the facility and prepare for the absolute worst. I'm not saying that you have to say, like, they can't come out of their cells at, at, at all, but we're already talking about 7 o'clock at night. How about after dinner you just like have a little quiet time. <laughs> like I don't understand why they didn't you you know it's coming. They all know the warden and you do nothing. You you choose absolutely nothing and you put all those people at risk. It makes me furious. Yeah, I have no idea who's in charge. I, I mean I I'm sure sure there's a deputy warden. But he sure. may be or she maybe working to cover his own ass right now. Or he may not have any authority to do much of anything like GDC might have. I mean, because some of those things are there's procedures in place and they might have to have like if there's not an ins if you want to preemptively lock down because of threats, like I think there's a, a, a chain of command or a, you know, a, a protocol that has to be put in place. Um, and they're very strict about it. I asked about it one time in an open records request and they don't call it. There's a form they fill out. And they don't call them lockdowns, and I don't know the name of the form. And so they told me they could not tell me unless I knew the name of the procedure or and, – and I said something like, you know, lockdowns or other similar practice where free movement about in the dorms is not permitted. And they told me that no such document exists because no such prop, like process exists and all this. So they're very secretive about it, but I know that there is a process in place. Um, but again, like the the commissioner and all the people all the way down, the regional people – they all knew this was happening and they had, if not 24 hours, they at least had from the morning to the evening to prepare. You can't tell me that a prison can't quickly activate people because they don't have cert teams at every prison. They have them regionally and they deploy them as needed. So you, why wouldn't you have them in the parking lot so that if things hit the fan, you can quickly secure the situation and make sure that nobody is unnecessarily harmed. Now, we've all got to pay for seven stabbing victims and fight victims of people who, whether it was by their own fault or because they were innocent, were caught up in the crossfire of a riot. That and the we don't know Department how many, of Corrections how many of those calls. Are- we don't know how many of them were corrections officers that that were None. that were evacuated. They were all inmates. Were they all inmates? They were. Yeah, the the, the COs were like, ah, let them fight it out. Which I can't I mean, blame them. If there's four I, I of you and all the, I mean, like at what point, and, and not all of them are allowed to be in the dorm at the same time. Like some of them have to be in charge of the door control. Like, I, I mean, I'm not making excuses, but like, what do what do you do? Right. Well, the. That building was never meant to house those animals. No. And that's just that's just a fact. That building was never designed to handle those animals. You know, I I, I think they they was it they they can they can lock down the pods, but they can't lock down the individuals because 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 the way the is laid out. Yeah. I, other, I don't know other what you, than. Yeah, other than the special unit. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't we, know what the hell four guards can do. I mean, you can't go in there. You can't go in there with with machine guns blazing and start start mowing people down. And you don't have enough physical force. No, not legally. Uh, and you don't have enough physical force to to stop dangerous felons, many of whom have no hope of ever seeing daylight again. What do they, they have, have to lose? To lose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's the worst and, that can happen? And tell me how when okay, so let's say you call they call nine one one because they need someone to transport. So let's say that an an EMT and a paramedic show up and they come to the door and you let them in, and but you don't have enough people to 
send them in with the EMTs to get them because it's not safe. So you leave the EMTs like behind a certain line. Like, how are they supposed to get the inmates out when they are in, you know? I mean, I, I just, it's so unsafe and it's, and, and it was preventable. It was completely preventable. Somebody was like, are you sure it's preventable? Yes, I'm 100% sure it was preventable. You knew it was coming. If there's some sort of like, there's been times before where there's been riots at other prisons that were gang related because a man, a high ranking gang member stabbed and killed another high ranking gang member. And so the news of that spread to other prisons and they had to hurry and try to get them under control because the gangs were all fighting each other. You didn't know that was coming. I understand. They knew this was coming. Yeah, I don't know if they didn't expect the response or that the, the inmates would care. And maybe at the, at the uh, GDC level, like, ah, the inmates don't care if, if the warden goes to jail. <clears throat> but yeah, that, that, that whole building needs to be blown up or put back to a medium security prison and put, you need to put the animals in cages where they can't hurt themselves, can't hurt each other, and sure as hell can't hurt society. But I mean the the amount of 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 contraband that that's been flowing through that prison is amazing, not in a good way. Yeah, like I said, we could spend an entire we could spend weeks talking about yes, GDC we could. and not even scratch the surface. So, but the New highlight idea. <laughs> oh, trust me, Dave and I. I mean, Eric and I have talked about it for so long, and I'm like, but where do you start? And how do you like? It's all so intertwined. You can't start and stop easily without just leaving people completely like in the middle of a sentence like hey I we're out of time um we'll pick up next week maybe maybe not maybe be on another tangent not sure it's like an it's like an ADD nightmare even if you don't have ADD um but the exciting part is that Brian Warden or Brian Adams has been charged and while you know he is innocent and Till and unless proven otherwise in a court of law, but his removal because he was immediately terminated by GDC. They didn't they didn't do it before. They waited until he was charged. Um, but the fact that he is gone from his post is a great step, um, and maybe there will be some changes. And now you now you're gonna have to have a sacrificial lamb go in there. Yeah, and 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 because there's there. The first person to try to get that place straight is going to fail. It's, it's, it is. You can it, fail. You can fail, but you have to try. Yeah. No, I agree. You know, uh, it's, they haven't done it, anything. We, we see it in sports where uh, a, a franchise is so messed up. They'll bring in a coach knowing that his, his only job is to right the ship and we'll find somebody else to get it on, a, get a, get a winning record. Just right the ship. All right, Jessica, as we're, as we're running long, as we tend to do, because I talk too much, what is your closing thought? Just giving all the glory to God this week. I mean, I do all the time, but really, really, well, all the glory and then like an extra 5% to the GBI. To the GBI. <laughs> uh, my only thing is uh, everything is built like crap now. My 2019 Ram is back in the mechanic shop because it won't. It's very difficult to fuel because it's got so many sensors in it and so many EPA things that are that go into fueling it that I can't get the fuel past the uh, into it. It takes you know half hour to to put five ten gallons in it. So this is a 2019 with less than sixty thousand miles on it. I've already replaced the or had replaced the uh, air conditioning comp- uh, compressor. Uh, it's a, it's already been in the been in the shop for for something else because everything's proprietary on it. Someone put a wrong fuel filter on it or or, or uh, oil filter on it, and now another failure that is uh, should have been preventable in quality control. Uh, so everything's built like crap. Everybody sucks except for the GBI. So <laughs> on that note. Big thanks to Eric Cumbie, our editor. Uh, Jessica Salachi, my partner's endeavor. I'm Dave Roberts. We'll talk to you next week.
Very 